This is Straight Dope, episode 68. Today, I'm going to talk to you about something that's been mentioned a few times over a few episodes and needs to be revisited and rediscussed because I think that it's something that we all slowly put in the back of our minds and then it creeps out of nowhere and all of a sudden, some of the gains that we would be getting are gone because we fail to loop back and make sure that we have you know, almost a pace plan for our training. Now, recently I was talking on the Just Effin' Send It podcast with Dave, and we talked about all sorts of things, and not necessarily shooting related, but kind of a, a ember was relit, and I, and I thought, gosh, you know what, I'm going to revisit, revisit this topic. And the conversation started something like this. People come out to Colorado, they want to, you know, shoot something, you know, big and furry and bring home a ton of meat, and they start thinking about all of the stories they heard about shooting long range and and... And sure, a lot of the conversations turn towards what's an ethical distance to shoot something, right? But that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is you get this concept in your mind about how something's going to go down. And we have a massive role to play in setting up how that plays out. And a lot of times we kind of create these scenarios like I'm going to find a 450-yard shot. And we look for all these 450-yard shots and we forget that it, it could actually be easier and more efficient for us to get a 75-yard shot instead of looking for that 450-yard shot. If the goal is getting meat or getting a prize animal or, or something or other, and you're putting yourself in a box, you're kind of, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, so to speak. So I'm going to talk about that concept. And it was mentioned and brought up in a very early episode that I called Training Scars. I think about it in the same way. I don't have a good term for it. In fact, some of the military guys that I hang out with and have spent a lot of time with, they, they tend to, to kind of approach that more as a situational awareness kind of thing. Like, or, you know, do you have good situational awareness? But I think of it as training scars. I think of it as self-fulfilling prophecies. I think about it as a requirement to our training. And that requirement is you have to know the goal, right? You have to know the goal you have to know where you're headed. You have to know where you're at. You have to have a route that's getting you there. And you have to loop back to make sure that you're still satisfying the requirements that are going to get you to that goal. Because over time, you know, over days, months, weeks, years, whatever it is on your plan, you might learn stuff. You might change. You might grow. You might develop new skills, get new gear, get new ideas that alter the route that you're on. And I think that's really important. Before I get started, I want to talk to you about Mile High Shooting Accessories. I want you to go to milehighshooting.com. They are a big store. They're here in Colorado. They're awesome. Ever since I started shooting, I mean, going into their store, since then they've moved to a bigger, bigger warehouse, bigger storefront, and they pretty much only carry high-end equipment. They carry Accuracy International. They carry Spur. They carry Leica, they carry Night Force, Leupold, Zeiss. They carry all sorts of good stuff. And one of the things that I love about them is they have a massive stockpile of ammunition. Since COVID hit, I gave up on reloading. They have reloading components for sure, but they, they usually have Lapua brass, they usually have burger bullets, they usually have alpha brass now and tons and tons of powders but they always have tons of ammo. Since, since COVID hit, I became obsessed with factory ammo 
And because of that, I just started shooting my 6.5 Creedmoors, and I just go in there and I get cases of ammo. I go in and I test out lots. I test out ammo and so on and so forth. Recently, I went to the Guardian match here in Colorado, two-day event. And just like I always do before a competition, drive to Mile High, and I buy a case of ammo. This time, I bought the Federal 130 grain 6.5 Creedmoor, the gold medal match. They're selling it for $35.50 a box. Now, that might seem expensive, but post-COVID, a box of 20 rounds or a case at $350 a case, I think, is an amazing deal. They have a pallet of it. They literally have like more ammo than you can possibly buy from them. I shot four five-shot groups, and they all came out at about a third of an inch. It had a standard deviation across 20 rounds of about 15. The ammo shoots great. It's Burger 130 loaded in federal brass with an SD of 15, and it shoots like a quarter to a third of an inch just right out of your 6.5 Creedmoor barrel. I got first place at the Guardian competing against guys that had hand loads. I think that the nature of the competitions that we like to do you can get away with ammo like that federal ammo. So <clears throat> although there's a tons of things that you can buy there and a lot of high-end stuff, one of the things that I think people are, or I would encourage you guys to just go check it out. Go look at their ammo. And if you want some ammo that I know they have in stock right now, the last batch that I got, they had a huge pallet of it. And, and I don't even know how much ammo that is, but that's more ammo than all of us are going to shoot ever, right? And it's for sale right now. So if you want good 6.5 Creedmoor ammo that is relatively cheap, that's factory, that you can compete with at just about any style of competition and not have to worry about the ammo, that's the ammo that you want to get. They also carry rimfire ammo. And I don't do the rimfire game. I'm considering it just for fun because it seems like it's fun, not as a trainer for my center fire, but just for itself. And they always carry good rimfire ammo. And apparently, the rimfire game, the ammo means a lot, right? And so does the lot and so on and so forth. So if you're listening to this and you struggle to find ammunition and you shoot 6.5 Creedmoor, um, I want to say that the 6 Creedmoor ammo that I saw in there, they have tons of also. And it was like $32 a box or something like that. Maybe even $30 a box. It was pretty cheap for a box of ammo, which would be a case for 300 bucks or, or 320 bucks. For six, uh, six creed more. I don't shoot six creed more. And yeah, prices vary a little bit up and down. And and they are uh, an amazing, amazing store. They hire veterans, um, and they are a good place to go. So anyway, I'm making a short story long. But for now, I want you to go check out their ammo. And if you are looking for factory ammo to buy, that's good. The lot that they have, it's all one lot, and it's shit hot right now. So head over to MileHighShooting.com and order Federal 130 grain burger ammo for your 6.5 Creedmoor and have no excuses other than maybe your craft number's too big and uh, you need to shoot more paper. Okay, let's get back to this idea of looping back to double check the problems that you might be developing and they develop in these areas of... Um, you know, for, for lack of a better way to say it, they, they develop in the darkness where our attention isn't hiding. And it could be anything. I'm literally 
talking about anything that we do and we try to move it from conscious to unconscious, as soon as it makes that slip, whether we're aware of it or not, it could double back and bite us. So sometimes you hear about like making those conscious checklists unconscious or doing repetitions until it becomes automatic. The prob- there is a problem with some of that, and some of the problem that develops is we stop double-checking it, and we stop to make sure, or, or we stop making sure that, that it's not going to cause problems down the road. And some things that help us today are going to hinder us tomorrow. And let me give you a couple examples. When I started shooting precision, I would dial elevation and hold wind. And I got good at dialing elevation and hold wind. And with my carbines shooting events, dialing elevation was a little bit too slow. But I would fumble between holdovers. And holding up and holding wind, you know, would slow me down because I wasn't used to my reticle. So I trained and trained and trained till I could just hold over all the time. Those of you that shoot with like a tremor, th- tremor three, you understand. You just don't dial anything. Hold over, hold wind, hold elevation, so on and so forth. But there's times where... I'm not able to get the precision that I want out of holdovers. Could be my problem. It could be my eyes. Could be the reticle. Could be whatever it is. But to me, if I'm shooting a very precise shot, it's hard for me to do that consistently with speed, holding elevation and wind. So I started dialing elevation again, holding wind. Then I started dialing elevation and dialing wind. But in doing that, I developed habits associated with one style or another that would slow me down. And so all I'm saying is that when you get a method, you might find yourself in a situation where you need to use another method. And if you haven't put in the time and training with that, then it's good for you to to kind of unwire your dependence on the technique that you're using because the technique that you're using could have limitations and you won't know those limitations until you start doing other things. Now, if I have the opportunity and I have the time, I dial elevation and I dial wind. I get much more precision because I hold the center of my aim reticle on the target. I hold it center and I break a good shot. I'm not worried about where the reticle is elevation wise. I'm not worried about where, if I'm holding, you know, two and a half mils or two and 2.33 mills left or right. I'm I'm not focusing on the reticle in terms of where I'm holding it exactly for wind. I'm staring at the plate and I know that aim dot is dead center. I'm making sure that it's not moving at all as I break the trigger. And the only way for me to do that and do that comfortably is to dial the elevation and dial the wind so that I can focus on the target itself, not focusing on the reticle because you give up accuracy and precision by focusing on other things. So if you're focusing on your reticle instead of the target, you're going to miss where it, where the splash is because your eye is going to be focusing from, you know, I get it. You're supposed to set the focus so that the reticle and the target are just the same, but I'm telling you there's a difference. And good shooters that dial elevation and win will validate that you can't get the level of precision holding that you can consistently dialing elevation and win when there's time involved. And I'm getting very fast with that. But I noticed that just my holdovers is, are starting to slow down because I'm used to dialing elevation and win. So now I'm going back to double back into my holdover reticles so that I can hold over and make sure that I'm still able to do that when I need to and not get rusty. Okay, that might not be the world's greatest example, but let's talk about building brakes. If you stand there and you drop your bag, drop your rifle, go, and you time yourself, drop your rifle, drop your, uh, drop your bag, drop your rifle, go, get in position. What happens if a barricade presents itself that you don't drop your bag, drop your rifle? You can watch the body mechanics of somebody that overtrains, drop, drop, go, drop, drop, go, and 
times themselves. It gets faster and faster and faster splits because they're training on a specific motor pattern that's not necessarily going to be replicated. And that kind of stuff is extremely fine-tuned. Ask you know a, a dancer or a guitar player or somebody that has very, very subtle motor patterns and motor movements. If you hone yourself to such a specific degree going extremely fast, and that's not... Um, it, it becomes less adaptable. So the more specific your training gets, right, the more fine-tuned your motor patterns get, and the easier it is to kind of screw it up when all of a sudden you have to shoot out of a little porthole. Well, you can't drop your bag onto that porthole. How do you get your rifle into it? All of a sudden, you're a beginner again, and your movements are clumsy and awkward, even though you think, oh, my God, I practice over and over and over again. The problem is you recognize that your movements are now slow and clumsy, and your brain kind of goes into this like backpedal, oh shit, panic mode. And it's not smooth. You're not doing the things that you need to shoot. You're panicking. You're worried. Oh my God, I'm slow. Oh my God, my bag won't fit. Oh my God, my rifle won't fit in there. Oh, how do I get comfortable? How do I? So if you overtrain massive specificity, it's probably going to bite you at a match where diversity is king, right? If you're used to just drop, drop, go, try deploying your tripod. And deploying a tripod, putting your bag on it, and shooting that way. Once you get comfortable with that, practice deploying your tripod, clipping in, and shooting. And then deploy your tripod. Then then have your rifle clipped in on the tripod when you start, and unclip it and move it into a new position. Right, and and mix it up so that you don't get that. Kind of, so you don't get too comfortable. So you don't get too used to any one position, any one height and any one movement pattern, because as soon as you start to specialize in it and it starts to go subconscious and you find yourself in a position where you've trained specifically for something close enough where you want to do what you did, then you're looking for that rather than trying to solve the problem that's presented to you. And I think that there's an issue there with you're looking for a solution that you've trained for versus solving the problem that's presented to you, right? And what we would do best at is solving the problem. And by doing that, we need to have perspective. We need to have a huge toolkit. Don't get me wrong. You need to practice with all those tools, but you need to you need to practice solving the problem, not just rote kind of banging shit out, right? The PRS barricade, I think, is an example of something that people kind of got too used to and too comfortable with. And it's, it's kind of a mindless, like, oh shit, you know, uh, you know, it's a rote behavior, but it doesn't involve any kind of thinking anymore. And so you just drop, drop, go shoot. Whereas, you know, you could mix it up in a subtle way such that it would screw up people that were too comfortable and too mindless. And all of a sudden, wait a minute, what? It's different, right? Another example from the Guardian is I have shot, you know, I, I, I've shot quite a few matches, but, but they're diverse and they're mixed. And I do see KYL racks, but I started competing at a time where where KYL racks were starting to change how they were being deployed and applied. And so most of the matches that I've gone to, um, the KYL rack stage design is usually like uh, you have to hit to move on, right? You shoot the big one and keep getting smaller. But if you miss, you re-engage the plate you miss until you move on. And then if you have enough bullets or rounds or time, then you try to do it a second time. And so more people are getting more hits, right? So you get two passes or you get two passes hit or miss at, you know, one shot at each target, but you get two passes at the local match. And so I've seen lots of variations of that. Now, there are stories of, you know, you go until you have to bank it, and then you bank it. But all the variations that I had seen up to that point were you only got two bank shots, right? You could only bank it twice. 
I had never seen, it never dawned on me that there was a KYL rack with a bank and you could shoot like target one and then bank it and then target one and bank it and just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And of course you would only get 50% of the points, but you could, you could bank it. You know, if there was 12 shots, you could bank it six times. It, it never dawned on me and I didn't, I didn't even realize that was possible. I'd never seen it. And so at the guardian, they had a traditional KYL where I, I guess where you could, you know, shoot it as long as you didn't miss, you could bank it and then you could keep going until you ran out of bullets and you could bank it as many times. And the rules, it was, it was clear to the people that have done it before that that's what, that's what was going to happen. And it was, and when I reread it, it was very clear that that's, you know, that it was implied that you could bank it. But when I read it, I was expecting the variations that I had seen in the past. And as a result, right, it was a, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. I was looking for a solution that I thought I knew, even though it wasn't the one that was the smartest or the most practical or the reality of the stage, right? I was, I was creating an issue because I didn't, um, it's, it's not what I was looking for, right? I was looking for, oh, I understand this, right? It makes sense. And I'm going to bank it twice. And, and that, that, that got me and it made me realize, wow, I don't, um, you know, I created a scenario that, 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 um, I cost myself the opportunity to earn more points by seeing it in a light similar to the way that I had seen it before, right? I guess like now I'm kind of rambling on and on, but that's the way I think about it. Like it was, I was my worst enemy because I thought I knew what I was looking for and I didn't have the perspective to see the options that were still available, right? And that is a training scar, so to speak. That's a scar because you think, I've seen this before, I know what to do. But you don't maintain the perspective. You don't maintain the situational awareness to think about other options. Despite the fact that you know what it is, keep thinking about other options because the other options, that's where the gold is, right? That's where the real growth is and the real problem-solving abilities that shooting competitions should be trying to exploit is there, there should be a lot of ways to solve this problem. And I want to see creativity come out, right? Not what you would call gaming, but don't put yourself in a box. Remember, we're still using rifles to hit targets that are far away. And that shouldn't be, um, a sterilized procedure because we don't always know the range. We don't always know the wind. We don't always know the situation. And so being able to clearly analyze and think through the problem is of vital importance because no matter what kind of game we're playing, we're still responsible and we're trying to grow and be responsible. So those kinds of mental traps that we get into are partly because of things that we've seen and we stopped imagining other scenarios and other ways to look at the problem. And also, because, you know, it's just not in our circle of awareness. And I think that that's beauty, right? I think that's why I love the shooting sports and I love the diversity of field matches because they're always challenging you to think outside the box and solve problems in a way that ultimately could be a practical real world scenario for the use of a rifle. And I like that, right? If you have a clear, perfect, beautiful shot at a buck at 600 yards, do you take it? I don't know. A lot of shooters can't ethically take that shot, in my opinion. Did you consider getting closer? 
because I would consider getting closer. I like the idea of getting close. I like that, for the most part, I can clear the distance between me and something relatively quickly, and the odds are I'm not going to scare it. All of a sudden, I've got more opportunity. All of a sudden, you know, I don't have to do a lot of things. But I'm using that example only to say that when you go in expecting something and looking for something, you, you build this giant rifle that can shoot to 2,000 yards. And so all of a sudden, you start looking for 2,000-yard targets, but you forget that you could still use it at 50 yards. And I don't want people that are training, especially the rifle craft drill stuff, you know, when you're doing standing in seated prone, you're trying to iron out height inconsistencies of your applied fundamentals to the rifle, the inputs and the outputs. It's not a fixed height. Use whatever height because you're using different heights to exploit your relationship to the rifle at different heights because as your body and your mind start to understand the relationship that you have with your rifle system, when you get into unknown positions, it's more likely you'll be able to apply those checks and balances in a way to put the bullet where you intend it to be. And most people don't realize that as you change height and position, their body changes the point of aim, point of impact of their rifle system until they shoot paper, until they shoot the craft drill and realize, holy crap, I thought I was a quarter inch shooter and all of a sudden I'm a two inch shooter. And you think about the ramifications of that and you think about what that means for training potential. And to me, that's really exciting. But then you also need to not get so married to your procedure that you can't alter that procedure and start layering in other things, right? So the idea of, you know, if everybody's shooting faster, 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 and then somebody says, you know what? I shoot better slower. All of a sudden, they're not getting trapped into that mindless, let's just follow everybody else and do what everybody else is doing. The results speak for themselves. And so we want to follow results, right? You have to follow tangible results, not what you think you should be doing, but the results that come after the training and the time. Now, granted, you try something new, you're not going to perform as well because you don't have those motor patterns. But make sure that you double back and you make sure that the things that you're training and the things that you're testing, you have quantified data that you can track over time. That's why the craft site is so cool, right? It doesn't have tons of bells and whistles. It provides you with a long-term overtime record of your paper consistencies. You can have notes and you could look at different rifles, different calibers, different speeds, different positions, different rifle weights, and you could see how well am I maintaining my point of aim, point of impact, cross positions, charting it to make sure that you're improving and that the elements that you're trying to isolate and, and, and work towards are actually getting better and better and better. And it's easy to get in traps. It's easy to follow people and say, you know, this is what they're doing, so I'm going to do it. Or hear conflicting training ideas and try to do it all at the same time. But then you've got too much, sig- you got too much, um, too much noise. And, and so the signal isn't good. And I think that when we isolate, it's, it's good because you can chart that progress, but it's also easy to get trapped in that isolation and not then open up your peripheral vision and loop back to make sure now, maybe in doing that, you present yourself with a new training opportunity that can help get you even further and even further, right? So um, I wanted to mention that because to me, that's very important. It's something that I do more often than not is to reflect back on what have I been doing for the last month or what have I been doing? You know, I mean, you're not going to see many changes in almost anything in like four weeks, right? Under four weeks, you you might have 
some tricks that might make an improvement, but neurological and muscular and physiological change. And, and I think the shooting technique change, you, you need time for it to sink in. And so you need multiple sessions at the range, but I tend to monthly go back and think about what are my goals and what are the techniques that I've been training and what haven't I been training and how has that been working out for me and thinking about how those problems are solved and I'll think about new problems and I'll think about courses of fire that I might hear about or matches that I see or I'll see it on YouTube or you know something like that and think how would I solve that problem and would that have worked and so a lot of it is just thinking about it and reflecting on would my methods work in that scenario yes or no because if not we need to find a better solution because you want to have options and solutions that you can apply to the broadest array of scenarios, not just the ones um, that you're training for specifically, because we don't want to train for a test, right? I mean, if you're doing it for work or for whatever, great, you know, train for the test. But for us with rifles, it's, it's never about training for the test, because when you train for the test, you're looking for specific answers, right? You're looking for specific questions, and we don't, don't fall into that trap, right? It's a terrible place to be when you're looking for a nail to hit because you got a hammer in your hand and you're the one and the only one that can tell you whether you're on the path towards your goals and whether the things that you're doing are actually helping. But if your results haven't changed in the last month or two, despite the fact that you keep doing things harder and harder and harder, I think it's time to stop doing what you're doing and reassess the methods and techniques that you're using to get there because it should work and you should see gains and you should see progress. And even if you don't get the results that you want, let's say you bring your craft number from a three to a two, right? Those are real results. And that might not be translating to match results because you're missing another strategy, like a match strategy. Maybe your wing culling needs to be worked on now, or you're way too slow at getting your positions built, or you're not good at getting your sight picture or something else like that. But that's procedural. And it also highlights that that should have been a part of your training or now needs to be a more important part of your training because you're probably not going to lose the gains that you made to get a craft number of two. Um, although shooting is perishable, a lot of that stuff really isn't. You see a lot of the very top shooters now hardly train at all, and some of them take months and months off, only shoot a couple matches, and still perform very well. And I think that's a great demonstration of the fact that once you get the techniques down, those you don't need to train, right? The rest is cognitive. The rest is problem solving. The rest is understanding how you're going to deal with wind and how you're going to move and, 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 and how you're going to break down these problem sets that are presented to you. And again, you're going to do that the best by looping back and making sure that the strategies that you have work for the most diverse situations. And if not, revisit them. Because no matter how good your groups get, if you have a bad strategy or you can't get a sight picture or you can't build a position or you can't move to a position in the time frame that, that you need to, it doesn't matter because you won't be able to take the shot. So think about that. And I've been deliberately a little bit vague and tried to use different examples because I don't want to kind of push you into thinking about just those scenarios. I want you to think about what you're doing. right? And we all have different outlets and we all have different techniques, but everybody's training in a specific way. And I think that we would benefit from doing things differently um, and just mixing it up a little bit. I think that when your nervous system is used to doing something subconsciously, it is very good for you to bring it back to the conscious level by doing it different, by doing something out of the ordinary. If you hold wind, dial wind. If you dial elevation, hold elevation. If you, know, if you, if you use a game changer, um, I, I don't know, try, try 
you know, in training, try just shooting with a sling and no bag at all uh, on a prop, you know, and see how that works. And if, if you uh, just just something that's totally unexpected to your rote behavior to mix it up a little bit. And sometimes that exposes ideas and raises things back to the surface that need to, you need to have some attention. So anyway, uh, I kind of started rambling a little bit, but uh, let's get to the range and train, come up with some of the ways that you've kind of been trapped and tricked and held back by the things that you've kind of let go subconscious and then they held you back from solving problems. And, and actually, I would, I would love to hear some examples of how, you know, you train so hard for one thing and then all of a sudden a new example, a, a, a new scenario presented itself. And rather than seeing the solution clearly, you got yourself fixed into an idea that didn't turn out to work the way that you intended it to. I think that those kinds of examples are cool to share. And I think we probably all have them. But... I would love to hear those just as examples that we could share with each other. And then maybe I can uh, read some of them, um, you know, anonymously, like, hey, you know, I did this and this and this. And, you know, in retrospect, it becomes very clear, like, oh, fuck, I forgot to dial my elevation. Oh, shit, I forgot to dial my wind. Or, oh, man, I didn't do this. Or, um, you know, I, I overlooked that because this is how I was training. But those are the traps that we really need to avoid. Those, you can call them mental mistakes, I guess, but they're scenarios that somebody deliberately created because they know if you did this, this is going to be tricky or it's going to catch you or it's going to trick you because you're used to one thing and we're giving you something else. And that's pretty easy to set people up when you know how they train. Right? But we don't want to be those kind of shooters, right? We want to be able to see and solve all those problems. And sometimes it takes getting tricked. So welcome those things, but then don't let them happen a second time, right? So they trick you once, you laugh, you're like, holy smokes, you know, I, I can't believe that. Uh, be psyched about it, and then you know, don't be too hard on yourself, but also don't neglect to make sure that next time your training accounts for that kind of stuff. So email chrisrway at gmail.com or um, info at riflecraft.com. Both of those would work pretty good. You could message me on Facebook. You could message me on Instagram, but I would love to hear how things have happened like that for you and how you got out of them and how you got around them because I think that that's helpful for the whole community and everybody that shoots. So until then, go buy yourself some 130 grain Federals from milehighshooting.com and save yourself some loading time. <laughs>